by us having access to the people that are really pushing the industry forward from a physical standpoint, I think it just is going to allow our digital infrastructure to be that much better as well. Um, so kind of like you've mentioned, having all of that knowledge in one relatively small, accessible place, I think is hopefully going to make us you know, even more successful than we could be trying to do this somewhere else. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. For episode 59, we are featuring Bryce Payton and his new product called FlowFeed. Bryce highlights some of the many reasons Bentonville, Arkansas has become such an important place in terms of mountain biking and development of mountain bike-related products and infrastructure. Bryce is also one of the six co-founders of this new app called FlowFeed. While FlowFeed is slated to be a premier app for all things mountain biking in the future, their first goal is to provide accurate trail conditions based on real-life weather data, which includes sensors and data collected at the actual trails. This will prove to be a pivotal piece of technology for all trail users from advocates and land managers to the end users wanting to know what the conditions are like in real time on their favorite trail. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer of Trek Bicycle Company and Celsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrigger and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or a bunch of friends about the show. Also, please subscribe wherever you consume your podcasts. This will ensure that you always get the latest Trail Effect episodes and it will help the podcast gain more traction, especially after relaunching on this new feed. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Here we are today with Trail Effect. I have Bryce Payton. Bryce is out of the land of Oz Trails, otherwise known as Bentonville, Arkansas, and the mountain bike capital of the world or galaxy or whatever their new title is, which actually is rightfully so because they do have more trails and more trail development going on in that region than literally anywhere else in the world right now. How's it going today, Bryce? Going well. How are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, as we both discussed before we hit record, we're living in winter weather right now and it was 60 yesterday and sunny, and now it's 25 and a few inches of snow, but it's going to be 60 again on Sunday. So we just uh, enjoy the up and down pattern, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's get into your backstory a little bit, kind of how you uh, how you got into mountain biking and how you landed in Bentonville, and then we'll get into what we're actually here to talk about, which is flow feed. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, kind of how I ended up in Bentonville, I'm originally from Joplin, Missouri, which is about an hour north of here. Uh, went to college at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, which this Bentonville region is part of a kind of greater northwest Arkansas region, which is kind of what we refer to all this as. So that's Bentonville, Rogers, Springdale, Fayetteville are kind of the four big towns here. Uh, so went to school at the U of A in Fayetteville. and then you know, knew that I wanted to stay here from a career standpoint, but then also just from a quality of life, raising a family. I was like, this is, this is a great place. So got a job at Walmart at the home office for Walmart straight out of school, uh, which the home office is in Bentonville. So that's what brought me about 30 miles uh, north from Fayetteville to Bentonville. Um, and I've been here. So I graduated in 2014. So I've been here for uh, eight years now, full time. and just love the area. I love being here. And, uh, I don't see myself or my family being anywhere else. Yeah. It is a pretty incredible region. Let's get into how you, uh, found the mountain bike. Cause I believe you didn't mountain bike before you came to Bentonville. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, you know, growing up, uh, skiing was kind of our big family, you know, tradition every year. So every spring break, we'd go to Colorado, go ski. And so, 
you know, had, had always enjoyed that activity and then grew up playing, you know, pretty much every sport kind of focused on baseball once I got into high school and then was always big into golf. So this outdoor activity is something, you know, that's been a part of me since, since I was little, but uh, mountain biking growing up in Missouri and uh, Joplin was never really on my radar. And then even once I got to the U of A, uh, was just involved in other things and, and never really explored it. And then, um, you know, once COVID hit, so in 2020, uh, when everything was closed, you know, there was, there was not a lot you could do indoors and, you know, it happened in March. So we're right in the middle of spring. And so it's like, well, you know, I can only play golf so many times. And so it's like, what are some other things to do? And I said, we've got this incredible infrastructure of trail system here. Uh, that I've never explored. Why not give it a shot? And so, of course, kind of during that point is when supply chain stuff started happening. You couldn't find a bike anywhere because everybody else had the same idea I did. So finally found a uh, a single speed spot rocker on Facebook Marketplace. Um, it was a great, great bike in great shape. It had been freshly built. And the, the guy just was traveling all the time, didn't have time to ride it anymore. So uh, that was my first foray into mountain biking was a single speed hardtail, which is what I ride, still ride today. And so it was kind of a, uh, I didn't necessarily understand from a bike standpoint what I was getting myself into, but um, it kind of, it was kind of fun to learn on that and learn how to pick lines. And uh, it's definitely a, it was challenging back then and still is now, but um, so that's kind of how I got into it. And and once I was kind of in the environment, part of the culture, uh, just fell in love with both the, the the activity, but then all the infrastructure that goes around it, right? So the community, and, and especially here in Northwest Arkansas, all the restaurants you go into, coffee shops, uh, kind of everything is built into this ecosystem now. And so to actually kind of understand some of the slang and and feel a part of that culture uh, has been really fun. Yeah. And well, before you got into mountain biking and we're going to get, we're going to sidetrack here because as I was, I love, I love saying this as I was doing research on you, otherwise known as Google stalking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like to, I like to kind of figure out who my guests are, especially because a lot of times I really don't know the people I'm interviewing ahead of time. Sometimes I do. And mm-hmm. that makes it a little bit easier, but you've been into some different business ventures. Let's talk about those business ventures before we really get into your latest business venture, one of your latest business ventures with Flowfeed. Yeah, absolutely. So my degrees in supply chain. And so kind of like I mentioned, I went to work for Walmart home office straight out of school uh, in that retail space and, you know, was always into technology, but wasn't necessarily, you know, a developer or a software engineer. So I wasn't building the tech but I was always really interested in how to utilize technology in new ways and understood it really well from a business standpoint. So ended up uh, getting into a role at Walmart on an innovation team. We were called Lab 415C. And what we did is we did really small scale testing on emerging technologies. So uh, these were things that we thought we could use in Walmart, but we weren't gonna build. So robots, virtual reality, all kinds of these really new emerging technologies that a lot of emerging or small emerging companies were building, we would then partner with them, kind of get to know their product inside and out and do some small scale tests. And so through that, I was just consistently interfacing with, with really exciting uh, startup companies. And so that kind of got me immersed into the entrepreneurial ecosystem where I was on the Walmart side, but my day-to-day job was interfacing with hundreds of these, you know, entrepreneurs and founders and understanding how their companies were created and how their products were created. And and I just loved it. Um, And kind of having that business background, you know, I, I always kind of assumed that entrepreneurship was somewhere down the road, but I wasn't a kid that, you know, grew up running lemonade stands. I was involved in a lot of other things. And so uh, knew it was probably down the road somewhere, but wanted to get some experience uh, in the business world before I launched something on my own. But being inundated in that ecosystem day in, day out, you know, you're just constantly being flooded with new ideas and you kind of see the potential once you go out on your own. 
And so in 2017, I left Walmart and launched a uh, technology research research company called i to i Labs, which stands for Innovation to Industry. And what we did there is very similarly to what I was doing at Walmart, we partnered with large retail and consumer goods companies, and we helped them explore this external emerging tech landscape. So, you know, we had a, a large gas station chain that was a client and they said, we've got, you know, 20 people in our IT department, but they're all focused on keeping our cash registers running today. We don't have time to think about what's coming 15 years from now. So we would do a lot of that kind of work, exploratory work for them. And then we would showcase what we thought were really compelling, interesting technologies or companies that they should be aware of and should potentially work with or interface with. And then we'd form a really easy handoff between these really small companies and these really big enterprises who potentially had uh, a need for their for their technology. And this is where the story kind of takes a really sharp turn, which a lot of entrepreneurial journeys do. I was in uh, Brooklyn for a tech conference, and we were looking for something fun to do on, uh, I think it was like a Friday night. And there was this new, so this would have been 2018. There was um, a new indoor recreation activity called indoor axe throwing that was popping up in major cities around the country. I had seen a couple people do it in some other cities. And so uh, my, my business partner and I said, let's go try it. So we went and did it. And I absolutely loved it. Just not only the, the atmosphere and the experience, but I, I actually love like the axe throwing part of it, like the, the sport part of it. And I, you know, kind of have enough sports background thought, this is something that I could really get into from a competitive standpoint. And so ended up going to Dallas and doing it with friends there. And then my wife and I did it in Tulsa and just tried to go explore from a lot of different uh, versions of this new um, activity and said, this is something I want to do um, myself in Northwest Arkansas. Like I want to, I want to do this. Um, and so if nobody else is going to open it, I guess I'll just go ahead and open one. So the idea is that uh, this was just going to be a fun kind of night and weekend hobby. So I to I labs, this tech company, that was my, you know, day-to-day business that we really wanted to grow. But once you get in that entrepreneurial world, you know, you just start to see other opportunities and, and it's, I think, easier to create new businesses once you've done it once. So the idea was this would just be an add-on, you know, night and weekend hobby. So we opened uh, as the state of Arkansas's first axe throwing venue in in late 2018, and it took off much more than expected. So we grew to a team of about 20 by uh, May of 2019, and so by this point, it was really clear that this was going to take full-time focus, and there was uh, a lot more here than just a night and weekend business. So I actually left I to I Labs. We brought on some new people there to take over my workload there. And I became fully focused on kind of running and scaling urban forest. And the idea was to, to kind of build this much larger indoor recreation brand. And so our vision was to, you know, axe throwing was hot right now, but, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, maybe there's some other type of indoor recreation activity. And so uh, urban forest was just our goal was to capitalize on that long term and just create really compelling spaces with uh, you know great staff and great environment, whatever that activity might be. And competitive socializing is the term that we used a lot. That's what we were building. We were building a competitive competitive socializing experience. You can come hang out with friends, but it's not just eating and drinking. Like you can really do something similar to the Top Golf model, but uh, different you know activities. And so that's what kind of got me into the recreation space and kind of, you know, understanding how to build a business that's 100% focused on people having fun. Um, you know, with the, the business world and the tech world, um, a lot of that's out of necessity. You have to do it. Uh, Urban Forest kind of opened my eyes to this is a, a, you know, a business that people want to do. And every time they interface with our brand, it's because they're having a good time, right? Um, and so that that kind of helped me fall in love with the with the recreation space. So while it wasn't mountain biking yet, it was you know starting to get me a little bit closer to that ecosystem. Then in uh, 
we brought on an investor for Urban Forest, and and our plan was to have five locations by the end of 2020. And so we were getting ready to break ground in our second location here in Northwest Arkansas, uh, and that lease started in March of 2020. And of course, we all know what happens in March of 2020. So here we are operating an indoor recreation venue when people can't go out. You can't be together with people outside your household. Uh, you know, basically the entire premise of what our business was built on, you couldn't do. We were mandatorily closed for almost three months. And so right in the middle of this kind of expansion plan. So we sat down kind of our founding team and then the investors that we had partnered with and, and you know, both said, we don't know what the future of this industry is going to be. The, the, the industry that our investor uh, operated in was also extremely disrupted. They had no idea what the future of that industry was going to be. And so we just said, this probably doesn't make sense right now to continue this you know, expansion. Um, but we had already built out all of this backend infrastructure. So training material, IP, website, we had already built out everything we needed to scale and said, you know, if we're not going to be the ones to wait this out, uh, there's there's still a lot of value here that someone else who's already a little bit more inundated in the industry could could utilize. And so we kind of sourced throughout the industry that we would be open to an acquisition and had immediately about 10 to 12 um, interested parties came to Northwest Arkansas and we started having discussions about, you know, how some other chains that had already had, you know, four or five, six locations. Um, so they were obviously, they were in this for the long haul. They were going to wait out COVID. How could they use a lot of this backend infrastructure that we had already built out and also get access, you know, take over our, our Bentonville location, which is in an incredible market. So really long story short, in, in December of, uh, of 2021, we officially closed on that acquisition and sold Urban Forest. So we're a little, little over a year past that. But that you know, kind of got me uh, fully out of everything because I had already left Eye to Eye Labs and then now we sold Urban Forest. So those were the, the you know, two entrepreneurial ventures I was, I was part of. Um, but, you know, I had started mountain biking in 2020 during COVID. Uh, so once I had some free time, it was like, okay, what are other things that I'm interested in and involved in that I see white space, that I see uh, opportunities that people aren't building in right now, or or maybe they're not building in uh, as as best as they could. And so I was actually having a conversation with somebody that I had known from a prior relationship, completely unrelated to mountain biking. It was actually a, about a, a future of cars uh, for a consultancy that, that he runs. And so we were talking about it. And then at the end of the call, he said, hey, I know you're into like technology stuff. Um, I'm into mountain biking. And like I see, I think maybe an opportunity. And my wife and I had almost had just the prior week been talking about this exact same opportunity. And so we ended up going on like a 30 minute conversation uh, about this opportunity, which was a digital platform to kind of communicate what's happening with our trail systems here in Northwest Arkansas. So we have this incredible physical infrastructure, but there was no, you know, digital infrastructure to support it. And so that kind of conversation kind of helped me understand that, hey, maybe this is that next thing. Um, that I can start devoting time to, and I kind of had that freedom to to start exploring other things. Now, this was probably about May of of twenty twenty one when kind of the the genesis of Flowfeed on on my side started. Yeah, so let's that that goes into where Flowfeed began. Yeah, you know the interesting thing is, as a person who's been heavily involved with trail building and trail closing and trail opening. And trying to explain to the general public why or why not a trail is open or closed, because there's so many variables, as you've learned. Mm-hmm. This is like, it's actually an incredible thing. Well, so, yes, it is. And this is where I think the story gets even more interesting and I think shows off the power of Northwest Arkansas. So that conversation I had was with a guy named Dave Fish, who was another one of the co-founders of, of Flowfeed. Um, so myself, Dave, and then 
uh, one of my best friends and and somebody who is always a business partner of mine, Colby Ritter. He's a an architect and an incredible designer. And so the three of us um, started talking about what this platform could be. Like, how could we communicate trails that were open and closed? How could we communicate the other things that were happening around the trail infrastructure? So shuttle services, restaurants, Airbnbs, like how could we build a platform to just to house all of that information? And I was actually at a um, Chamber of Commerce event for Bentonville. And I was talking to Graham Cobb, who uh, was the former president of the Bentonville Chamber of Commerce, kind of telling him about the idea. And he said, I have somebody that you need to talk to. He said, there's somebody that just moved here from Chicago that is thinking of doing something similar. I think you should chat with him. So he introduced me to a guy by the name of Ryan Shelton, which is another co-founder of, of FlowFeed. Come to find out, Ryan... He owns a medical device company, and he moved here to Northwest Arkansas, he and his family. And they, Ryan was friends with, was from Chicago, and two of his uh, friends there, colleagues there, uh, owned a software development company, Reese Martin and John Cagle. And so they were also thinking about why doesn't Northwest Arkansas have some type of digital infrastructure? And so they had started building out uh, their vision for that. We had started, myself, Dave, and Colby, we had started building out our vision. And so we met, uh, Ryan and I, and I think John met at a coffee shop in Bentonville, had never met each other before. And by the end of the, the, end of the meeting, decided it made a lot more sense for us to combine our efforts and, and build something together. So that's what launched the, the six of us to take two completely separate platforms um, that kind of already had prototypes, already had some working versions, and then kind of put all that aside, come together and build something together. And, and I think the really cool thing is that uh, is that uh, Ryan, John, and Reese were approaching it from a different position than we were. And so once we were able to combine those ideas, just allowed it to be that much more of a powerful solution. Let's get into some of the details on FlowFeed. Yeah. Like, you know, because you... <laughs> Historically, it's been a physical person going to look at trail conditions, at least in in the world that I've that I've came from. Right, and then you have to explain to people why the, the trails are what are what they are, whether it's freeze thaw or rain or snow or whatever whatever it is that impacts the surface of trail conditions. Yep, you guys are using sensors for that. We are, and weather data, and weather data. Yes, let's let's talk about some of that, and then we'll go into some of the other digital aspects of FlowFeed. Yeah. So the reason we started with trail conditions, you know, there are so many things when we talk about, we wanted to build this, you know, digital infrastructure, this connective tissue. And we knew we had to start with just one piece of that. And so trail conditions was, I think the, the easiest spot to start because it generates the most conversation. So how it's set up in Northwest Arkansas right now is is pretty much all of our trail systems have a trail conditions Facebook page, right? And that's where you go to the slaughter pen trail conditions page or the back 40 trail conditions page. And then there's just all this conversation about, hey, it rained last night. I just drove here from Dallas. What can I ride? What can I not ride? And most of the trails here in Northwest Arkansas don't close for weather. So Kohler Mountain Bike Preserve is is privately managed. It's the only one that closes for weather. So you're not really seeing a lot of open closed. It's more what's good to ride and what's not good to ride. And you had to go to these individual Facebook pages to find that info. And so we thought, you know, this is definitely the the topic that's generating the most conversation. And so that seems like the best place to start um, because we can attack the biggest problem. And so you look at the the platforms that already exist, um, you know, Trail Forks and others and they're all doing the condition piece the same way, and it's it's user submitted. I mean, that's the way everybody does it, whether it's hiking trails, biking trails, horseback riding, everything. It's all user submitted. Um, and so what you find is, you know, you go to your favorite trail, and it says last updated three weeks ago, because there's no incentive for riders to go and consistently update those conditions. And then also, you know, some trails may not be ridden for a week, um, and and so there's nobody there to actually report on the status. And so that's kind of when, you know, we said there, there has to be a way to use data to do this. 
And, you know, how can we do real time, fully automated, take the human out of it and be an objective source of the condition versus a subjective source, which is, you know, what Facebook and, and user submitted conditions are. And so, you know, that's why we tackled it that way. And so originally, you know, early on, we were using some uh, general weather APIs that uh, what we found is pretty quickly, especially in a, in a climate like Northwest Arkansas, the conditions from one city to the next are extremely different. So especially, you know, in the spring, you could get an inch of rain in Bentonville and then 10 miles down the road in Bella Vista, they get nothing. So when we're trying to assign, you know, statuses to trails and our our weather station picks up an inch of rain and then we we apply that to Bella Vista and it got none, we we just found that we weren't nearly close enough and it wasn't a good enough product that we could put out. And so we spent about six months refining our algorithm and figuring out how do we get this weather data piece right. And we eventually found uh, a partner I'm not going to say the name yet because we're working on exclusivity for them. We'd, we'd love to get exclusivity in the trail space where we can be the only ones to use this data for trails. But we have a partner and they're one of the leading uh, weather data providers in the world. And so we have access to, to thousands of weather stations across the country. And then we can also deploy our own um, that allows us to get super high hyper-local data. So there are about 50 sensors just in Northwest Arkansas um, that we're pulling from. That's giving us temperature, wind, uh, UV, rain amounts, all of this, uh, and it updates every hour. Um, the, the system actually updates all the time. We pull every hour. And so that's, you know, once we kind of had that relationship locked down, you know, that became very apparent. All right, we have really reliable weather data now, but we don't have to worry about that. And then it became, how do we flesh out this algorithm to actually use that data correctly and assign a correct condition? So, you know, this was like a six to eight month process of it raining, us going to a trail, you know, moving the levers up and down until it was right. And then it does it again. And you find out, well, the temperature's different. It rained the same amount, but the temperature's different. It affected the trail different. Okay, let's adjust that algorithm again and again. And so and probably October of 2021, we got to a point where we said, this is, this is, maybe it was September. We said, this is good enough that we want to start putting this out and getting some real rider feedback. And so we opened our uh, private beta and then now are in public beta. So we still have a beta tag when you go to the, the FlowFeed app to let people know, hey, this is a really hard problem that we're trying to solve that nobody has done before. And so it's not going to be perfect. But we want people using it, and we're getting better and better every day. But that's kind of the genesis of, of how we started using data and then refined our, our data source to be able to, to make that usable. So with that, my brain just went in a bunch of different places. I mean, when you're talking about soil conditions and, and stuff, I mean, you're just your middle of summer to your fall when you have trees that are pulling moisture out of the ground. Or you have shorter daylight, so your solar gain isn't there. You know, there's just so many variables that go into this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's incredible that, and we're going to get into this later, but it's incredible that somebody like yourself and the five other people with you have actually gone to this length to attack this problem. I mean, one of the problems we have in my local trail system, and we have kind of a weather, like a trail conditions banner across the top of our, our local website. And somebody would be like, well, what are your trail conditions today? They look the same as they were yesterday or the day before that, you know? And it's like, well, the weather hasn't changed in a week here. Yeah. So we haven't updated it because it's been sunny and 70 every single day. And so the conditions are great. Yep. Right. And and that's one of the things that we, you know, found out, especially in the middle of summer when here, when it was just dry and no rain, it became pretty clear trail conditions wasn't going to be the only thing we could have on this platform because that exact reason, if it doesn't change, what's the value in it? And so, you know, our plan early on was we knew that the automated trail conditions was probably going to take the most time because it was the most comprehensive problem to solve. And so that's why we started with it early. But throughout that that kind of whole development period, we were lining up the next feature, the next feature, the next feature. And now we've gotten to a point where uh, we're, we're still not anywhere close to completing our roadmap. But even what we have right now, 
basically makes flow feed valuable whether there's exciting weather or not. Um, because we've introduced things like uh, soil type. So now when you go to an individual trail, so this also factors into our algorithm, but we've started exposing it as well. We'll show you what type of uh, surface type a trail is. So is it chip seal? Um, we have some all weather trails here that are chip sealed. We have, uh, you know, is it clay capped? Is it natural soil based? Is it rock based? So you can find interesting, you know, kind of insights about the trails you want to ride. We've got elevation, gain, and descent. Um, we've got live weather. We've got sunrise, sunset. We're getting ready to introduce. We've got basically maps done for about every trail here. We're getting ready to roll out maps on the individual trail level. We've got the closest parking lot to the trail. So we're, we're building out a lot of this other infrastructure that basically allows you to plan your trip or plan your day, regardless of how exciting the weather is. So to that, to that point, that's why we knew we had to have more than just condition. So I can imagine just doing this in, we'll call it Northwest Arkansas or the Oz region, as they like to refer to on the marketing side of things. In your roadmap, have you guys discussed, or is there a feature in trying to get this, I'm assuming there is, in trying to get this at least nationwide? And what, what might that look like? Yeah. So, you know, the way that, that we're set up is a little bit different from your typical uh, trail app. Because like I mentioned, with us not doing user submitted, that means our our data is a lot more, I would say a lot more goes into it than just rolling out in a new region, right? We've got to have weather stations set up exactly where we need them to get good coverage. We have to understand the surface type enough to know how we should adjust the algorithm to know when it rains a quarter of an inch, does that shut down a trail or keep it open? Like there's so much more that we have to understand about the trail systems that we deploy to uh, that we can't just allow anybody to deploy it. And so we said, we wanna, we wanna really refine this in Northwest Arkansas because the majority of our team lives here so we can physically go out, check trails, update you know our algorithms and the app and, and make sure that you know, we have things working correctly. And then the other thing we said is, you know, this is like you, you kind of mentioned earlier, whether you want to believe it or not, mountain bike capital of the world. I mean, it, it, it is an incredible region for the sport. And we said, if we can't make it work here, it's not going to work anywhere else. You look at the support, the amount of money uh, that's being poured into mountain biking here. And so if this app doesn't resonate with our riders, then it's not going to resonate with others. And so uh, that's kind of how we decided to really stay focused on this region first, build it out. Let's get feedback. Let's adjust. And then once we feel good enough about where it is, then we can go take it to other markets. But even still, you know, it does kind of change the way that we do think about expansion because we've got to have enough supporting infrastructure uh, around the trail system to make this work, right? You've got to have trail advocates. You've got to have uh, maintenance crews. You've got to have a lot of these other things that can can really feed into this hyper-local data that we need and also make use of our data as well uh, to really unleash the power of, of what we're trying to build with FlowFeed. Within your network or within your region, you have pretty much all the different soil types you'll, you'll be looking for anyways, you know? You might have a lot of clay and stuff in the Bentonville area, but you go out to say Mount Nebo or you go over to Eureka Springs, you have a whole different type of soil to work with. And so yep. you can stay within say an hour to an hour and a half radius of where you're at and really get all that fine tuned. And we have four seasons too. So, you know, it's a hundred in the summer and, you know, we've got three or four inches of snow right now in, in mid-March. So a freeze thaw is something that, you know, we've really been working on this winter. and so. I think that also helps that hopefully these different regions that we do deploy to, we've been able to experience some of that here throughout our, our kind of build process. And the other thing we did when we set up FlowFeed, you know, we looked at how do we want to label conditions? A lot, of, a lot of other platforms, they try to use so many different words to explain a condition. It's, it's muddy. It's kind of muddy. It's dry. It's, it's loose. It's snowy. It's partially snowy. It's, there's so many different ways to describe it. And so, you know, what we said is, is no matter where you use FlowFeed, 
how can we give you this cohesive language to relay a condition? So we aligned on, on basically four statuses. And basically it's, it's good, it's okay, it's bad, and it's closed. We've played around a lot with the terms. So right now, if you look at FlowFeed today, it'll say firm, fair, ruddy, and closed. But you know, we may change those words to as simple as good, fair, poor, closed. But really, that's that's the thesis is, you know, those are really the four things you need to know. And then we can use iconography and additional text on the individual trail to let you know why it's bad, right? It's bad because we're in the middle of freeze thaw. It was 20 degrees last night. Now it's 56. That's why it's bad. But but the point is that the trail's bad. We can also tell you that it, you know, it's it's 75 degrees outside, but it rained it rained an inch and a half. So it's also bad. Right. So if we can just simplify from a communication standpoint, that's really what people want to know. They want to know, is the trail good or bad? And then if they really care enough, they can drill down and see why we're showing it in that status. So, you know, that's another thing that when we thought about expansion, we knew we were going to encounter a lot of different variables that would put trails into different statuses. But how could we simplify that from a communication standpoint on our end? Yeah. And, and you mentioned freeze thaw a couple of times and we're in that season. And that's probably one of the toughest things to kind of get across to the public is it might be, you know, it's here in, here in La Crosse where I live, it might be fall and it might be, it might've gone to 18 degrees overnight, but now that trail is it's, it's black, you know, say it's, it's really black soil and it's now the temperature's rising and it's South facing. And so it's got a lot of solar gain. So while it still might be a frozen air temperature, that, that solar gain you get from the trail surface being a really dark color changes that dynamic and it makes it ruddy, as you said, or it makes it slippery or slimy. Yep. Yeah. Freestyle has definitely been, I would say the toughest condition for us to get right. And still a lot of work left. You know, we, we kind of have predicted probably next winter. Uh, we feel like what we've learned through this one, the, the optimizations that we've gained and then some of the additional kind of scientific work we're doing. I think by next winter we'll feel a lot more comfortable about that. Uh, some of that we've we've tried to solve just with adding icons, right? So to let you know, hey, this trail is experiencing freeze thaw. We're going to give you our best guess on a condition, but the you know the idea is that if we can at least communicate that it's being impacted, that's potentially a great step one because that might steer you to a, a system or or you know, a, a paved trail that that is not experiencing it, right? If you really need to ride. Um, but one of the cool things that we've done so far is on our individual trail cards, we basically have three icons. So we have a frozen ice cube, a partially melted ice cube, and a fully melted ice cube. And that shows our estimated status from frozen to slightly thawed to thawed. Um, so that's kind of how we're trying to communicate at the individual trail level what stage of freeze thaw we think the trail is going to be in at that time. And then now we're kind of working on uh, actually getting some some soil sensors to add an additional layer of, of scientific study on top of that to know, okay, like you mentioned, it might be 28 degrees outside, but due to solar gain and no tree canopy in, in, in you know, the winter, we're actually going to start thawing before it gets above freezing. And so we're trying to build what is that correlation between air temperature and soil temperature? And then what are the other factors that we can pull in to even refine that even more? So, you know, I think that's going to be one that even long term is going to be really hard to get 100% perfect. And so just as we continue to add, you know, like I mentioned before, new text and iconography, if we can just at least communicate what's happening, you know, I think that's going to solve a lot of issues and then we'll keep refining the specific status as we go. When I started looking at FlowFeed and then I reached out to you, one, you know, and I've been going to Bentonville for, since 2016, let's say for mountain biking. That's, you know, that's when I took my first trip there with a bunch of guys. And that was when like a bunch of light bulb moments went off for me of things that I thought could happen in the space of mountain biking, but was actually happening and happening. And one of those things being, you know, Bella Vista, for example, like, holy cow, we're riding right through people's backyards here. How, how are they yeah. doing this? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and we were there right when they unveiled that trail system. 
And it didn't really dawn on me until I was, like I said, looking into FlowFeed and, and you and I connected in that it was pretty monumental for the Walton Foundation and Walmart to invest into the infrastructure that they, that they have in the first place, right? But then when you, go, when you go deeper on it, you're getting all sorts of really intelligent people to move to Northwest Arkansas that, like yourself, didn't mountain bike before you came there. Yeah. And so then you have all these people that, with all this intelligence, that are now coming up with ideas that nobody would have even known where to start with. Right. Like, let's talk about the region and how that's really been an incubator for more than just Walmart, but how it's really impacting outdoor recreation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you can, as a great example, you can just look at our team. So, you know, we are are a team of six founders. So six people that have run and and scaled other businesses aside from FlowFeed. We have two of our our co-founders have PhDs. I mean, it's just nuts the, 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 the kind of ecosystem that's built here. And I think the cool thing is that everybody feels comfortable enough giving access to each other. So, you know, there's not this kind of exclusivity, got to be part of a club. Like it's such a collaborative place to be because it's, it's still small enough where you can know everybody, but it's big enough that you have every resource you could need. And so I think especially, you know, one of the, the positives of COVID is as people got out, they traveled, they were looking for new places to explore. They were trying to get out of cities. I mean, that has, has only exploded the area even more as more people have been exposed here. And I think it's, it's a hard story to tell sometimes because we are definitely, Northwest Arkansas is definitely unique to the state of Arkansas. So Arkansas is a beautiful place from a geography standpoint, but it is, you know, a majority of the state doesn't look like what we do here. And so you do kind of have to come and experience it yourself. And, you know, the region's trying to do some marketing and doing a good job at that. But a lot of it is once you get here, it really starts to make sense. And, you know, I had a conversation with somebody the other day who is a a retired CTO from a bunch of Fortune 500 companies and just retired to Bella Vista and mountain bikes. And and so that's somebody that, you know, hopefully we as, as a software company can just go on a bike ride and and, you know, have a conversation and get this incredible knowledge from a Fortune 500, you know, chief technology officer. And and again, it kind of goes back to that, you know, everybody has access to everybody because that's just how it is here. Um, And and a lot of that starts kind of with the the big three here, Walmart, Tyson, J.B. Hunt. You know, those companies were started by, uh, I would say, non-traditional founders, right? These were kind of self-made people who used the resources that were around them. Uh, used the people that were around them to build some of the largest companies in the world. And so that culture just kind of continues to to stay around um, with other things that happen here. And then you get people like myself who have worked in that ecosystem, build a lot of connections, are able to access, you know, world-class minds and then leave and then still access those to build new businesses. And And the quality of life here just means I don't need to go anywhere else to do that. And so then those businesses start recruiting other people to come here. And it's just kind of this network effect that um, has been so fun and, and empowering to be part of. And, you know, you get Ryan, who who's on our team, who, you know, runs this medical devices company. And again, moved here because his company isn't based here, but he was working remotely, loved the area, loved to mountain bike. And so it was just a perfect fit for him to, to come here and, and run Photonicare, his company from Northwest Arkansas. Um, and so that's what you're seeing more and more. Uh, Dave Fish, another one of our founders is from California, came here to, to be a uh, kind of a consultant role for a company uh, on the Walmart account, ended up leaving that company and, and was like, I don't need to go anywhere else, even though I'm not going to work on this Walmart account anymore. Why not stay here and, and build you know my next thing here? So uh, I think that's the cool thing. Once you get here, it makes a lot more sense. And so that's why uh, I've enjoyed staying here and plan to be here forever. Well, and you brought up another thing that has been emerging, which is retirement in Bella Vista, because that traditionally is a retirement community. And mountain biking in trails have now become like the new golf, you know? Mm -hmm. It used to be you go out on the golf course and you can maybe work a business deal or something like that. Now you go mountain biking and mountain biking. And now you, you see 
communities and, and developments starting to build trail amenities around their developments, similar to what we would see with golf communities, you know, years ago. Yep. And it's just incredible to see that, that switch happen. I think Bella Vista is a really good example of that because Bella Vista is, was, and still is a golf community, right? I think there are seven or eight golf courses in Bella Vista, which is, you know, a, a city of 20,000 people. So that's a pretty good uh, golf course per capita ratio there. And now, you know, mountain biking is a huge piece of that. So there, it's been interesting to kind of view the, the, um, the kind of shift in golf and mountain biking, how those work together, how they often disagree sometimes. So there is, you know, a little bit of tension there sometimes. But I think e-bikes are playing a big role in that too. So, you know, my father-in-law enjoys mountain biking, but, you know, we talked about how it's just getting harder and harder to do as you get older. Um, But e-bikes have kind of changed that game. And then the way they're building trails here, you know, a lot of our trails, uh, they're building them, you know, wide and, and machine groomed. And so, you know, not all the trails here, but, but a lot of new ones, which is a lot of fun. They're really accessible. And so that, I think that adds to it as well. So here, I think you're, you're having this nice mix of the way the infrastructure is being built. And then also new technology in the space from a bike standpoint is, is allowing people as they get older to, to get more and more involved in the activity as well. Yeah. Let's pivot one more time into what I'm going to call the bonus round. Okay. Early on, you talked about your degree being in supply chain and you working in supply chains. And while, yep. you know, us in the mountain bike industry, I mean, there's, there's, there's supply chain issues and an issue in a, probably every industry at this point. But those of us that, have, that are heavily involved with mountain biking know that it's really difficult to get, you know, whether it's a certain part to complete a bike or whatever, like the supply chain issue is real mm-hmm. in, in the cycling industry. And I mean, for example, I ordered a new bike in April of 2021 and it showed up, it was scheduled to show up in January of 2022. Thankfully it showed up in November of 2021, but that's just, that's just one example, but that's, and that's actually a pretty, you know, good example I've heard of people ordering bikes where they have an ETA ship date of maybe 2023 or 2024 now. Yeah. What's your take on, on the supply chain issues that the industry might be facing from your perspective? I mean, I think, you know, from my perspective, the, the, um, the best example I can have is is when I originally got into mountain biking back in 2020, you know, I ride a single speed bike because I couldn't, couldn't get anything else. And so that was a, a unique situation where, all right, I knew I wanted to to get a bike and, and not get, you know, a cheap bike. I get something that was good that I could feel comfortable on and use for a while. Uh, and I was just like, it's impossible to get. And I didn't want to wait a year to to try the activity. So I met a guy on Facebook Marketplace who was selling a recently built spot rocker. So it's a steel, uh, single speed hardtail, carbon belt drive. And, you know, I had never ridden another mountain. I mean, I had ridden a mountain bike, but but not, you know, ridden one to actually buy where I was really focusing on how it felt. And that was pretty much all I could find at this time. And so I went ahead and, and did it and probably overpaid for it. But now I've just fallen in love with like the idea of single speed and have rented a couple geared bikes. And, and I always love coming back to this one. So for me, the supply chain you know, shortage actually totally shaped the way I think about mountain biking because of what I was able to get. And how much I've enjoyed that, and I don't think I probably ever would have would have purchased, you know, a steel hardtail single speed if we didn't have the uh, supply chain shortage. So I don't have a lot of uh, great insight into what's happening and why it's happening, but I can say that it totally shaped uh, the way I think about the sport and uh, the bike that I ride. Yeah, and and I'll say those who know me know that I spent nine years on a single speed. All right. So I, I know exactly where you're coming from. It was, it wasn't until like really modern geometry in the last couple of years have came out that, that I've changed yeah. into riding geared full suspension bikes. But you know, from 20, 2010 to 2019, I was exclusively on a single speed and it was, and it wasn't a supply chain yeah. issue. It was because I just couldn't find a bike that I thought was more mm-hmm. fun until stuff started changing on the geometry side of, of the, of bike yeah. stuff and, and, and bike technology has really came a long way in the last, 
even three years, it's, it's crazy how things have really progressed because forever, I mean, I've been mountain biking since around 1990 or 1991, mm-hmm. you know, so for a really long time, but there wasn't a ton of changes in the, especially the geometry side. And now I mean, even just the, the two years I've been in it, it's just the, the changes is so rapid. Uh, I'm like with anything, but you know, it's, it's, uh, definitely, I think I'll add another one to the arsenal here pretty soon. I, I, I do rent bikes sometimes when I want to go out with friends and try to ride all day, but, uh, enjoy being a uh, part of this exclusive club right now anyway. Yeah. And I mean, truthfully, you live in a place that really lends itself well to single speeding. You know, yeah. you can gear for the climbs, you coast in the downhills. There's not a lot of flat. I mean, cause riding in flat areas is really where you're at a, a disadvantage in a single speed. And, and while right. there's not a lot of elevation in, in that region, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little elevation and that's yep. where that difference comes in. Well, is there anything that we haven't touched on with FlowFeed or with, with the Oz Northwest Arkansas region that you'd like to touch on before we uh, finish this thing up? And we've kind of talked about it, but the, the access to people in the mountain biking industry here, I also don't think FlowFeed would be you know, what it was or be on the path that we're on without access to those people. So you look at world-class trail builders that are here, right? We're having meetings with those kind of people to say, all right, what, what are features that you would like as a trail builder that we could potentially build in? So could we, over time, we've got this robust back-end admin infrastructure. Could we actually allow you know, maintenance crews to project manage the, the management of a trail through FlowFeed? So we can allow people right now to open and close trails on our platform. We can allow them to adjust the resiliency of a trail. So the condition changes in different ways. We can give them all this control. We can allow them to to put why a trail is closed. And when people go to flow feed and hover over the closed icon, it gives you a description. Like we're building out all this management infrastructure too. And by us having access to the people that are really pushing the industry forward from a physical standpoint, I think it just is going to allow our digital infrastructure to be that much better as well. Um, so kind of like you've mentioned, having all of that knowledge in one relatively small, accessible place, I think is hopefully going to make us, you know, even more successful than we could be trying to do this somewhere else. Oh, for sure. And that opens up your, that opens up your avenue for expansion, you know, because yeah. like you, you kind of want to keep stuff controlled where if you have a trail building company that knows your product and then tra- like, we'll use rock solid trail contracting for an example, cause they're. They, they build down in your neck of the woods year round. They come up to Northern, mm-hmm. they, they build in Wisconsin and Northern Minnesota and in the UP all summer. And then they travel to other places as well. So that's, you know, you, they could have staff on hand that oh, we're building this new trail and we're also going to add this infrastructure that will tell you what the conditions are like that you can then deploy, you know, through flow feed to the end user or to the, you know, maybe it's, maybe they're building for a city, uh, for a city municipality and they can give that, you know, end product you know almost like i mean trail counters are the same way like which is actually something that another avenue that maybe could be built into flow feed especially if there's sensors Mm -hmm. involved you know because trail counters have been kind of a hit and miss and what what's actually really accurate out there right you know and and i've had our parks director say hey we really want to know what's going on with you know with how many people are really using these trails and and what the user types are you know we know the parking lot's full but what what does that really mean well, and then take it one step further and say, you know how many people have been on the trail. You also know the condition of when those people are on the trail. Could we actually predictively tell you something's going to need maintenance, right? So here, our trails don't close, but it doesn't mean they will get damaged whenever, you know, it's a soupy mess and 100 people from, you know, Denver go and ride because they're only here for a day. So if we could say, hey, we know the trails were bad and we know a bunch of people rode this section. We're going to predictively tell, you know, the city of Bentonville that we think this section's probably going to need fixed. So I think that's where it gets even more powerful. And then as we start adding in, you know, trail hazards, tree down, all that kind of stuff, uh, it just becomes kind of this whole trail management platform. And by using data, we can also make it predictive where we could also say, you know, we know there was 45 mile an hour winds last night in this section of Bella Vista. Uh, that's probably if you're going to send people out to go look for down trees, we can 
you know, potentially save you two hours of searching by leading you to trails that experience that wind. So that's kind of the next step is how could we get predictive with a, from a maintenance standpoint also. Yeah. And that's something I'm like, for me personally, like myself and a couple other guys are the ones responsible for cutting those down trees in our region. And there's, as soon as you get those heavy wind storms, the text messages start going back and forth. Like, Ooh, I wonder how many trees are going to fall on this storm tonight or where we're going to be cutting trees out or whatever. Yeah. And then sometimes you go out and you're like, Holy cow, like not a single tree came down or the trees that came down fell parallel to the trail and didn't actually cross it. Yeah. And, and what we found here, uh, through, or you mentioned Gary Vernon earlier, through a conversation with him, he talked about how a lot of times whenever we have a big rain, that's when you see a lot more trees fall because the, you know, root structure is disrupted, the soil gets softer, and that's when you see huge uprooted trees. So how can you combine all those different factors uh, when you're trying to predict that also? Yeah, for sure. Are you going to have any involvement with the uh, PTBA trail conference coming in the end of the month? You know, we're trying to get as plugged in to as many things as we can, but we're also really still focused on building flow feed also. And so we're trying to balance opportunities to be involved in stuff and devoting resources and money to the platform. So, you know, we're we're super plugged in what's happening in in Northwest Arkansas. Once one and an answer to that question, but one other cool thing we're doing, we're working with some local uh, coffee shops and restaurants to actually have uh, flow feed deployed inside the establishment. So this kind of goes back to another perk of Northwest Arkansas is, is everything's built around mountain biking. And so one thing a, a lot of these establishments want to do, they want to generate like conversation about mountain biking in the shop. So we're going to have like a touch screen deployed on the wall where you can go in, you can drink your coffee, you can go up, you can play around, touch the conditions, drill down into trails, and actually, you know, potentially stay there 30 minutes longer talking with your buddies about what you want to go ride and plan it right there in the coffee shop. So that's some other cool things that we're getting ready to enable that, again, just kind of build back to this this inclusive community built around, around mountain biking. So to specifically answer your question, I don't think we're going to be involved in that but we'll def we're, you know, we're definitely aware and, and present at things, but I don't think we'll have any direct involvement with it. Yeah. Well, hopefully through this podcast, I know a lot of my listeners are trail builders and people that are in the trail industry, whether it's advocates or clubs or whatever, they'll, they'll become more aware of, of this product called flow feed. And this furthers yeah. the, the reason that the Oz trails or Northwest Arkansas is the mountain bike capital of the world, because it's truly holistically embracing mountain biking not just from a trails development but from everything from like you just said the coffee shops i mean how many airbnbs are there that are mountain bike specific like all of it it's just it's yep it's like an alternate dimension for people like me that totally love this type of stuff you know and it's crazy and i think that's the thing that that's hard to showcase outside until you get here you know when you see that term mountain biking capital of the world and you know there's no mountains here it, there's immediate pushback I think the entire ecosystem and the culture that once you come here and experience it, you, you understand, okay, that's why that term makes a little bit more sense than I thought originally. So I would also encourage people just come check it out for a weekend. And, and I think that that trademark will make a lot more sense. Yeah, for sure. Well, Bryce, we'll wrap this thing up. Thank you very much for taking the time to, to come on the trail effect podcast and talk about flow feed and talk about all the good things happening in the world of mountain biking in Northwest Arkansas and Bentonville. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your audio content. This will ensure you have the latest content by Trail Effect and it will help the show as well. Also, please take the time to leave a rating and a review wherever you consume your podcasts. This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.